Hello, I'm Stephen Groom. Welcome to Let God Speak. This week, we'll look at God's plea for his people to come back to him in Isaiah 55, verse 7, and the effects that sin has had on his people in chapter 59. But most importantly, we will note how God deals with this terrible problem in the messianic prophecy of Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and the effect it will have on his people in Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Please join us for these important biblical insights. To discuss this topic today, we have John Cosmeyer and Colin Hone on our panel. Welcome, gentlemen. Let us begin with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity of presenting this message. Please help our audience to understand the terrible calamity of sin and the precious promise of the solution that's given in our lesson today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us begin with chapter 55, verse 7. And it's a plea by God. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will uh, abundantly pardon. John, according to this verse, where does God account sin? When you read the verse before it, Here it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then he says to that person, let the wicked forsake his way, which means that in our thinking, we have evil thoughts. And God says, that is something that you need to set aside. And when you go to what the desire of nations, which our lesson is about this week, When you go to Matthew, it says that if you're angry with someone, you are killing him. And so God looks at our thoughts and adds the consequence to it as well. If you look upon a woman to lust after her, you're committing adultery. And so thoughts are what are evil. And God says, forsake them. So that's basically, God is basically saying salvation begins with our thoughts. How important does that make everything we we read and and do and we should guard what enters our mind? Absolutely. Thank you for that, John. Continuing to chapter 59 provides a summary of the major issues in the book of Isaiah. In verse 1, and I'd like to read that, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. What is God saying in this opening verse, Colin? To me, God's just saying that, hey, I want I want you to come back to me. I want to have a relationship with you. You know, I want you to speak to me and pray, you know, pray to me and talk to me. And 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 he says, I'm open. I want to hear you. But he's but the problem is in verse two, he says, but your iniquities have separated from your God. And there's the problem. So God's, you know, God, just like ancient Israel and today, He's ready to save us and he's open to hear our prayers. So, so the people's failure is not 
because anything of a lack in God's um, power, is it? No, well, verse 2 says it's because of your sins have separated. Yeah. That's and, and, the problem. And God's even going to take care of that. Yeah. And, and looking at verse 2, John, um, your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. What does this tell us about how serious sin is, John? Some people say that they, they can't find God. Well, who has moved? God is still there, yeah. but it's our sin that separates us from God. Mm. And that's how serious wicked thoughts and evil deeds are. And, and we only come to realise that when we understand that God is a source of life. And who are we separating ourselves from? The source of eternal life, isn't it? This separation from God, does it involve us running away from him, Colin? Yeah, well, look, let's go back to uh, Genesis, because that's where it all started. In Genesis um, chapter 3 and uh, verses 8 and 9, 10. And we read there, it says, and this is after Adam and Eve had sinned. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So the first result of sin was to hide ourselves from God, which is sort of another thing of separating ourselves from God because of the shame. And then you go, the Lord God, verse nine, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So here, the first thing is, do you think God knew that they'd sinned? Yes. But here he is searching for them. Where are you? So God has initiated and still searching. Where are you? And uh, in verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So it causes fear. Uh, it causes separation. And he realized that he was naked as well. So that was the result of this. And it's been the same forever since from then on. With yes. humanity. So in some ways, we're all hiding from God because he is holy and we're not. Mm. And, and, and Rome, Paul talks about that in, in Romans. He alludes to it. So when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, Paul says in, in Romans, for instance, in chapter 7, verses 12 and 14, that the law is holy, just and good, which is a transcript of God's, manu uh, of God's character. But mankind was sold into sin by our first parents. That means we're natural sinful and no longer like God in nature. We saw how this sinful condition makes us hide from God. But does God also hide from us in some way, John? The book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, chapter 1 and verse 13 says, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil. When God sees us doing things that are sinful, he actually has to look away. And this makes it very hard for God to do something for us if we continue along that path of activity. Yes. And so in some way, God wants to have this relationship. He's still coming after us like we saw in the garden. But there's a problem because he can't because of the sin problem. And, and on that point, I'd like to go to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And this represents Adam's disobedience that continues to us that we often don't understand. But the Good News translation 
translates the verses, everyone has sinned and, and lacks God's saving presence. I think this uh, enunciates the, uh, the verse more collectively. So seeing, seeing that man lacks the presence of God, how can, how can a person restore this relationship with God, Colin? Well, the next verse in verse 24 tells you exactly how. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same condition because it says we have all sinned. Uh, the word all means all. <laughs> it means everybody and fall short of the glory of God. But verse 24 says, being justified. So how are we justified? Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it's through the redemption through Jesus Christ of what he's done to redeem us. And we're going to talk a little bit more later on about that, how he's redeemed us redeemed. Through, through, through his death and his life. Okay, so we can see that the law is holy and just and, 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 and it has nothing to do with being justified with God. So what's the purpose of the law of God, um, the Ten Commandments, John, if it cannot save us? When you turn to Galatians, and we're in the New Testament now, here the New Testament is pointing out in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. Jesus is the desire of the nations. We need him and the law takes us to Jesus because if we're going to be saved and the law tells us that you're a sinner, we go to Jesus to find our salvation in him. But the law serves the purpose of bringing us to Christ. And and in some ways may I ask, um, how does it bring it like we see the law and we see we are transgressors. And does that mean that we see we, we're not fulfilling the law and that brings us to Christ? Is that how it works? Do you think? It depends on the individual person. Yep. But the purpose of the law is to take us to Christ and then Jesus does the, the saving. And then because we grow in him, we are actually able to keep his law. Okay. Mm. And he gives us the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. To help with that. Mm. So is this Holy Spirit able to help us overcome sin in this life? Many people tell me I I can't. Is that right, Colin? Absolutely. I mean, without the law, we wouldn't even know what sin is. So the Lord determines what sin is. And the amazing thing is not only has Jesus paid the penalty for sin, but he also says, I'm going to unite you to my divine nature. That's amazing. It's an amazing gift. I'm going to unite you and we're going to combine humanity with divinity. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, and you can read that in Hebrews chapter 8 and 10, where God says, you know, the new covenant, I'm going to write my laws on your mind and on your heart. Yes. And I'm going to cause you to walk in them. I'm going to give you a desire. And you only have to, um, you know, when, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's Christ living out his life in you then that gives you a desire to keep the law, which is to love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Yes. That's a tremendous plan, isn't it? So our old nature is actually negated through the work of the Holy Spirit living in us. Let us go back to Isaiah 59 again, please. After initially complaining about his people who separate themselves from the Lord, what does Isaiah continue to write about from verse 3 until verse 14, John? Isaiah reveals the attributes of those who fail to walk with God. Mm. And that's why we get so much in the book of Isaiah that that is very negative. But that's because God is dealing with a major problem, individual 
and also the national. And so verse 7, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, wasting. And so God is spelling out here the problem that he has to deal with. Mm. So this is a natural sinful nature of man without, without Jesus in their life, is it? It's yeah. the fruits of sin. As you could have put it, the fruits of sin versus sin. the fruits of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And also we see, you know, in um, Isaiah 50, 59 verse 15 is God's answer to this. So all the problems are spelled out initially. In Just before we go there, verse 3 and, and verse 14 re can repeatedly states the attributes of, of people without God they speak lies, mm. utter perverse things, trust in vanity and conceive mischief. But praise the Lord, we don't stay there because in verse, 50, verse 15 onwards, what, is, what does it stay, say there, Colin? Well, yeah, as, as you said before, um, John pointed out, he's the results of sin. He's like the fruit of the sin and, and, and God's got a problem. And he says in verse 15, so truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then he says, then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And then he goes on and says in verse 16, and he saw that there was no man and wondered there was no intercessor. And here's the good news. Therefore, because of therefore means because of everything that's gone before, all these problems, therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness stained him. And then he goes on to give the messianic prophecy about, about Messiah who would come and who would do the interceding, who would then do righteous. Yeah. Okay. So you've taken on a bit of John's answer there. Stephen. <laughs> about the solution. Yes. The situation. And this is where I love this part yeah. because we, we have in the Old Testament here what is reflected in the New Testament. Because the solution is. Listen to this. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. This is verse 17. Where do we read about this? Paul says, put on the, as a Christian, put on the breastplate, I'm, I'm put on the helmet, um, put on the garment of vengeance of clothing. And this was glad with zeal as a cloak, according to the, their deeds, accordingly he will repay. And so once you choose to follow God, you put on the armor of God and then victory can be yours in his armor. And it's important to note that the armor is not against fighting people, but it's against fighting sin in our lives, is it not? Mm. Yeah, so that's our enemy sin. Yeah, so we see that in Isaiah 59, verse 18, that according to their deeds, speaking about those who don't accept Jesus, according he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. So we, hear, we see here God's strange act of recompensing um, wickedness due, due um, recompense. Um, this is also in harmony with what the Bible says, the New Testament church in Revelation chapter 2, 23 to the church of Thyatira says that he will repay each church member according to their deeds, which means what he does. On, then, on this point, is there any contradiction between being saved by faith through by grace and not of works, Ephesians 2, 8, but being judged by, by our works, Colin? 
Now, having faith in the Lord in the Old Testament and in Christ in the New Testament is revealed by obedience, not disobedience. And we're still saved by faith. But what is the result of faith? What is the outward you know, manifestation of having faith in Christ? And you, you'll see fruit. There'll be evidence of that faith. And that's what James speaks about in you know, James chapter 2, verse 12. So he says, So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty, by the law of liberty, according to the law. And also in James 2.17, he goes, Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. So there are fruits that will come out by having faith in Christ. And I look at it as in, for example, in John 14.12, Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to do the same works as I do. Well, what did Jesus do? He went out doing good. They were fruits, weren't they, of doing good. Yes. And, and Jesus saying, you're going to do the same things as me. And the question is, well, how? How do we do the same works as Jesus? And if you read on in John chapter 14, it says he's going to give us the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father are going to dwell in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. And that's how we're going to do the same works. And so, so God showed Jesus how to do those works or what to do. Yes. And in the same way, we're to seek God and he will also show us how to work. And speaking of those people, I'd like to go to Isaiah chapter 60 now to see about the results of this. And verses 1 and 2, it says, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. What is this talking about, John? It's talking about Jesus coming into the world, trying to save the Jewish people individually and as a nation, but then it overflows into saving the Gentiles as well mm. because Jesus is the desire of all nations. Mm. And, and look at what it says here in verse 6. The multitude of camels shall cover your land, the dromedaries of Midian and and those from Sheba shall come and bring gold and incense. When did that happen? That happened when that Jesus true. came. Okay. And so here we have Jesus bringing glory to the house of God, yes, which was the temple of that day, and to the people. And so here God is putting into place the, the salvation of those who he has been accusing of doing all this evil. Mm. They can change and become righteous yep. through the coming of the desire of nations. And, and these promises is not restricted to those in the Old Testament, is it? Is there, do we see any reflection in the New Testament about uh, having light given to you? Well, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of reflection in light. I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. You be the light of the world. Yeah. So, so Jesus is saying, I'm the light. You be the light. Well, how do we be the light? It's because we're reflecting the light from Jesus. And we see also in um, Matthew, Isaiah right? chapter 60 and verse 3, where it says, And the Gentiles shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of your rising. And he's saying, what God is saying here is that as God and Jesus lives in us, and it's his glory is his character. And as people see God's character reflected through us, they'll be attracted to that. The Gentiles will be attracted to that. And, and Jesus also says in the, in the um, Sermon on the Mount, mm. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine so yes. that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This exactly. is what he wants in these times, isn't it? Let us go to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. 
has some special promises in it. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn. What or who are these verses referring to, John? Well, once again, one of the ways in which we can prove the veracity of the, of the scripture and of Jesus Christ as being the saviour of the world, when you go to the book of Luke, you'll find here in the New Testament, Luke is quoting Isaiah, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That that's, is Jesus speaking. That's Jesus yeah. speaking. Yep. Because he has anointed me, Jesus, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Yes. And here, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah was talking about this person. And so Jesus stood up in church, was it Nazareth? And he stood up and read this amazing uh, prediction, messianic prophecy, and said he was fulfilling it. However, there's something about this quote. In um, He stopped halfway through the verse of quoting Isaiah 61 verse 2. Jesus quoted that he was sent by God, verse 1, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What does this refer to, Colin? Well, in a sense, it's a form of the Old Testament Jubilee Festival where, you know, every 50 years, God had put these awesome laws in place that if you would sold, had to sell your property or your life or, you know, into slavery, that you could be released in the 50th year. You get your land restored and you go free. And Jesus is coming and saying, we really, in a sense, have been slaves to sin. And so the penalty for sin is eternal death, isn't it? We're separated. And Jesus come to say, you can, you're going to be free from that curse, from the curse of sin and, uh, and you know, from slavery uh, of the devil. So I think this is an awesome little you know, thing what Jesus is saying here. It's quite an, and it says, because the Lord has anointed me. Well, there again, that's another prophetic thing with Daniel 9 when he says, talking about the Messiah will be anointed. And that happened exactly in 27 AD. Right on time, he was anointed when he was baptized by John. Thank you for that. Mm. And so we, we see here, he quotes verse 2 of chapter 61 of Isaiah. He says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But that's only halfway through the verse. Jesus left out the second half that says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And Jesus didn't quote the second half. Is there any reason why he didn't do that second half, um, John? Yeah, it's been proposed that we don't have a, have a second chance. Jesus came along to his audience and he said, this is the day. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mm -hmm. The day that we hear about salvation is the, the best time for us to say yes to God. Yes. There's, why should you get a second chance? But that's, that first chance is a long time. I mean, we have it during the first advent of the Lord, isn't it? Absolutely. 
And so when good news of salvation come to us, that is the time to say yes, Lord, because to say yes later is much more difficult than the first time. And and I believe it shows the long suffering and patience Mm. of God. Um, One theologian has said, it's very important to recognize that the first advent opened the day of grace, the acceptable year of the Lord, but does not fulfill the day of vengeance of our God. That will be taken up before the Lord Jesus returns, or just before in the seven last plagues, and is totally fulfilled at the Messiah's return. Mm. Um, and so I believe it's so important during this lifetime that we have to accept Jesus as our Saviour, don't yeah. The acceptable year of our Lord. Mm. Absolutely. And it gives us also an opportunity to do some good. Yes. For Christ. He saved us and our hearts glow with the joy of salvation. And we can share that with others who are then given a chance for them to also accept Jesus Christ. Yes. And then he becomes their saviour as well. Yes. So in light of this important proclamation, Colin, what is the take home message of this? I, I think John just expressed it beautifully. And, you know, he just p- paraphrased really um, Isaiah chapter 55, verses six uh, to seven, where it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. While there's still time, he can be found now. Call upon him while he is near. He is near now. Let the wicked forsake his way. Now's the time to put away sin in your life and, and come to Christ for repentance. And that the unrighteous man, his thoughts, even his thoughts can be put away and let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and, our, and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon, not just pardon, abundantly pardon. And I think that's the good news that we're in that time now of the year acceptable day of the Lord. Uh, soon that time will finish. And now is the time to turn. So Jesus is very long suffering, yep. merciful, kindness, abundantly um, excelling in goodness and truth. Um, When exactly is it safe? Can you add anything to that? When is it safe to call on the Lord, forsake evil thoughts and return unto the Lord? Is there ever a time when someone can say, I think it's too late for me, John? The book of Hebrews is the new covenant. Mm. And here God makes the appeal. Therefore, in Hebrews chapter three, verse seven, it says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. It's today. Today. Mm. Today's the day of salvation. Yeah, so don't delay till tomorrow. It is possible that, you know, tomorrow could be too late. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit, doesn't mm. it, Colin? Mm. Yeah, so tomorrow, you, you know, you mightn't be here tomorrow. It, it, it could be that, you know, Jesus is coming. So today's the time to do it. Yes. So I'd just like to make an appeal to anyone out there who feels that they're not good enough to accept the Lord, that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. The gates are open wide this time before Jesus' second coming and that you may accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That's all we have time for. And this study has revealed the terrible effects of sin. God has dealt with this problem through Jesus Christ, whose objective, as revealed in Isaiah 61 to 3, was to fix the sin problem once and for all in each of us. But most importantly, this time before Jesus' second advent is the acceptable year of the Lord. We are glad you joined us today on Let God Speak. You can catch up on past programs on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Teachers' resources can be downloaded from there also. You can email us on lgs 
at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.